Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Thank you, Pastor Phil. Good to be with you today. Uh, We did go to seminary together. The difference is... um, uh, Phil graduated magna cum laude. I graduated laude. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I want you. Can you sit up here in the front row? <laughs> yeah, I got. I got. I have a lot of influence on Phil. I got him to wear the right shirt today. Now I'm getting him, trying to get him to preach in blue jeans, right? I just like to be comfortable. I wear my nicest jeans, so it's good to be with you on a baptismal Sunday. It's a very special day for you, I know, and a picnic too, but shouldn't they wait 20 minutes after they eat to go in the water? How many, some people don't know what I'm talking about, but how many heard their parents tell them to wait 20 minutes before you go in the water, or you get cramps, and that was all. I, I eat while I'm in the water now. That's all changed. It's a long time since I first met with you, and I met with you before you were a church when uh, Bill Eubanks organized you over at T-Bar-M, and I was the the first meeting with you, and I've uh, been privileged to be here since, and I so much appreciate, we so much, Karen, and I appreciate your support, and it's good to be back with you today on this special Sunday. So let me get geared up here and do a few things uh, while I'm talking, but uh, Karen and I are both from Maryland, and... um, D.C. suburbs, and I moved to Texas to go to uh, seminary, and um, we just stayed in Texas. We planted a church. I keep, I can't talk and do technology at the same time. I keep turning it off, and uh, it needs to see my face. It hasn't seen it in a long time because it's always wearing a mask. um, (laughs) It's terrible. My phone doesn't know me anymore, and uh, my devices don't know me anymore. Okay, here we go. This is for me to see. You're, You're seeing the same thing. Um, so we, we moved from Maryland, and um, moving from Maryland was uh, quite a culture change for us, because in the East, being Yankees, we're pretty straightforward people up there, and around the D.C. area, you grew up with a lot of people, and uh, I'm an evangelist at heart, so I would often ask people, are you a Christian? And they say, no, get out of my face. And I appreciated that. I appreciated that. They told you exactly where they were coming from, so I knew exactly how to deal with them. And we come to Texas and we say, uh, are you a Christian? They say, yeah, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> and no, I said, no, I mean, are you saved? Yeah, I was baptized when I was 12. And it, we had to figure out how to get beyond that, and I think we figured out since then how to ask the right questions. But it seemed like everybody in Texas was saved, and everybody was a Baptist, and everybody had been baptized. And uh, yet I was convinced some of them may not be Christians. There is a lot of confusion over the issue of baptism, so I thought I'd go ahead and preach on it today since Phil gave me free reign. And it's something we ought to be reminded of, and a lot of you already know about it and have uh, proceeded with and been baptized, and that's great. When I go overseas, there's a lot of controversy about it also. I preached all kinds of different denominations, so we all have all kinds of different beliefs there. Phil wanted to tell me a little me to tell you a little bit about the ministry. So, um, oh, I got a clicker here I can use too. Yeah, guys, thanks. So, uh, COVID has changed things for a lot of people, uh, you and, and me alike. Uh, actually, Pastor Phil's wife and our wives and another couple were 
uh, supposed to go to Zimbabwe in 2020, and we had to cancel that trip because of COVID. And then we had to cancel it again this year uh, because they're, they're not able, they haven't advanced in their improvement as much as we have in the United States. There's somewhere prohibited, some places prohibited from gathering together and so forth. Long story short, this group in Zambia was going to join us in Victoria Falls City in Zimbabwe across the border. And they were so disappointed we didn't come because he's been following my website and a lot of the teachings. Uh, and he's, he's actually converted. The man in the front there was a Baptist pastor for 12 years, and then he got saved. <laughs> I, that's what he will tell you. He will tell you. He, he came across our website, and he, and he read the material, and he, and he got saved. He got so excited about it, he's assembled pastors, and I'm now training them on Saturdays. I haven't met the guy yet. I'm training them on Saturdays. And, uh, and they're just so excited about the grace message. So anyway, we, we will get there eventually. Uh, we had to cancel all three of our Africa trips this summer. The last trip I went to was uh, in January 2020. I went to Myanmar, which is sometimes called Burma. And uh, we had a good ministry there in our Grace Life Institute, training pastors who don't have much opportunity or finances to have a theological education. So we have a Grace Life Institute, a four-year program, 12 courses. And uh, we, we went there, and then I went to the Philippines in February, and, uh, and that's when COVID started really making an impact. I had a team in India that I couldn't go with because I was in the Philippines. They got out of India just in time before they shut down the country, and they had, in fact, left a day early so they could get back in the United States. Um, but things have changed. Even uh, in Myanmar, I don't know if you heard, but I think it was January 1 or, of this year or February 1, uh, the military overthrew the democracy and, uh, and imposed their rule upon the people, and that just has shut things down. I don't know if we'll ever be able to go back to Myanmar as long as they've shut things down like this. And uh, the people demonstrated in the streets, they, but they're being shot indiscriminately. They're being killed at night, kidnapped, and, and thousands of them are in prison. It's a terrible, terrible situation. I hear it regularly from my friends over there. They're scared. They hear gunshots at night. They can't sleep. And uh, so, since we can't be in person, we've been sending some help in different ways to them. But pray for the people of Myanmar, they're suffering greatly. The good thing is, though, is the grace message has grabbed onto a lot of people over there, and they're spreading that. They even had one of my books translated in the process, being translated in the process. I've got three books translated over there. They have one in the process, but this one fellow, this one out with the printer, he faced that the danger of going out in the streets during this military occupation where you could be shot indiscriminately to go get the books at the printer because so many people were asking them for them. And uh, all kinds of bad stories are coming from that. Pray for the people of Myanmar. And um, we're also uh, usually in the Af uh, go to Burundi in um, East Africa in the summertime and train people there. Of course, we haven't been able to go the last two summers. Uh, but one thing we've done is uh, we've the Grace Life, because of your generous support, is able to finance uh, four of them at Grace School of Theology in the Woodlands, Texas. And uh, this, th this is a big thing because these people, their first language is Kirundi, and their second language is French. They really don't know English. One or two knows English, and we use them as a translator. They had to pass an English proficiency so they can read deep theological books at, at seminary, and they have to take the courses online at 2 to 4 a.m. in the morning. That's commitment. So we've helped them with tuition. We've helped them with uh, uh, technology and, and the things that they needed to get going. Uh, but boy, when you see their desire to get more education and to help their people, this particular group here is called Grace Bible Church, and they have planted 60 
grace-oriented churches throughout the country. Small, small country, Burundi. You won't hardly even see it on the map just north of Tanzania. Uh, so it, it has allowed me to do a little bit more writing because of uh, the COVID, and um, that's, that's been a good thing. That my last two books, uh, the top one, uh, it's a short book on Lordship Salvation. It's only 50 pages because a lot of people didn't want to wait, wait through a 260-page dissertation. So I put it in a shorter book that uh, uh, is easier to read. And then I came out with a book on fishing. Fishing. Because you know why? There's, there's 50 million people in America that like to fish. Are you one of them? Are you one of them? And then I found out that some of them can read. And I scanned everything I could. I looked everywhere I could, and I could not find one book that presented the gospel to fishermen and fishing women. Not one. There, there, there's, um, there's books about, with Christian stories and de Christian devotionals and things, but none of them presented the gospel, or at least clearly. I couldn't find one. So I wrote a book of stories from my life that present the gospel in a subtle way, not a preachy way, until the very end. I say, now you can close the book or you can listen to what I'm trying to tell you. And uh, you'll see for yourself if you get the book. But it, it's, uh, it's never going to be a bestseller. I don't, want it, it, I don't care. But i tell you what, people have come to know Christ already through it. We have some heartwarming stories from people just reading the stories in there and, and hearing the gospel present. They pull them in with the stories because fishermen love to hear about fishing stories and then slip the gospel in there with them. And um, if, you don't, if you don't fish, you can give it to somebody that knows how to fish. And then the, the other books are all available over there. They've been out for a while. Um, uh, and also, the uh, COVID allowed me to uh, start a podcast, which some people have been pushing me to do for quite a while. And um, it's, uh, we started, I think our first one was about uh, March in last year. And um, I think we're, we're over 12,000 downloads now all around the world. So um, it's going very well. It drops every Thursday called Simply by Grace. But you can go to our website and see all those resources there. So that's a little, a very, very quick scan of what's going on with us. I'm going to South Africa uh, next week. I am preaching in a church in South Africa. Uh, some people know the backstory of that. But um, not, we can't have conferences there. And I am committed to go to Ukraine in um, September and teach at a Bible college there. And I just finished teaching a class online for Schaefer Theological Seminary. So... That's where we're at. So anyway, we come to Texas, and, uh, and we find everybody's a Baptist, and that there's all these different views of baptism. And then you go overseas, and you find out, you know, we teach everybody, Baptists, Presbyterians, uh, Charismatics, Methodists, we teach them all together. Baptism really comes up as a, a controversy, but when we do teach about it, questions do arise, and most often the questions have to do with baptism and salvation rather than the mode or means of salvation. Of, of, um, baptism which you know by immersion or by sprinkling or whatever but let me tell you a little story there's a baptist preacher and uh, he was talking to a presbyterian preacher and uh, they were arguing about how to be a person should be baptized and the baptist was arguing very vehemently that you got to be totally immersed to be baptized biblically and the presbyterian says well this is sprinkling a little bit of water on the top of the head is enough and the Baptist, and he asked the Baptist, he says, what if a person just gets up to their waist? And the Baptist preacher says, no, he has to be totally immersed. And the, the, preacher, the Presbyterian says, what if he gets in the water up to his neck? And the Baptist preacher says, I'm telling you, he has to be totally immersed. And then the Presbyterian says, what about if he's in the water and just a little bit of his head is showing? And the Baptist says, 
look, you have to be everything under the water. And the Presbyterian says, so what you're telling me, it's just a little water on top of the head that matters. <laughs> think about it, think about it. It really is misunderstood in many parts of the world because people don't understand grace and there's so many groups, denominations, sects that want to add something to what we believe in, which is salvation by grace through alone, through faith alone. And baptism was one of the things that's often added. So I just wanted to go through or review what baptism is a little bit and deal with a few of the texts, give you a perspective on them and, and how we could handle them. And uh, and understand baptism a little more clearly because you can then answer some questions that might come your way. Um, now, the word baptism is actually not an English word. It, it's been transliterated from the Greek language, which is baptizo, which means to baptize. And uh, so we, instead of trying to define it, we just transliterated it. So there's some Greek words that we do that with. Um, and it actually means to immerse or to dip something. Now, when you think of it, something that is immersed or dipped into something can take on the identity of that into which it is immersed. And that is exactly what really becomes the significance of baptism is a new identity or identification with something. Uh, for example, in Romans, uh, as far as the means of baptism, I do believe it is immersion because there's some things in the Bible that make it pretty clear, like John the Baptist was preaching, but it says he was preaching in Anon near Salem. Salem because there was much water there. The Jordan River is not a big river. Uh, it's not like the Guadalupe. And, uh, and so uh, they had to find a place where there was deep water to baptize in the Jordan River. Now that tells us something, doesn't it? I mean, there was water in every water pot in every home in Jerusalem in the area. They could have sprinkled, but they went to a place where there was deep water. And the Jordan River today is still small, except they've dammed it up at one place so the tourists can get baptized. And I've actually baptized people there in that large pool on the Jordan River. You have to pay for it, though. <laughs> and then in Acts chapter 8, you remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, and he's traveling back to Ethiopia through desert country. Now, when you travel through desert country, you probably have some water with you, right? And yet when Philip joins him and leads him to Christ, and the, and the eunuch says, I believe... And then he says, look, there's some water. What would keep me from being baptized? And uh, Philip said, let's go for it. So they, the text says that they went down into the water and they came up out of the water. And even those prepositions that are used there indicate they went into the water. The water just didn't get sprinkled on them. So we don't make a big deal of it, at least I don't, but I do believe that the biblical method of baptism is total immersion or an attempt at total immersion, <laughs> okay? Um, it's sometimes, I, we used to bra uh, baptize in the Brazos River up where we live. Every, we did look forward to that, and every, some people would wait because that's what they wanted to do. But sometimes the river was so low up there, I'd have to get a shovel and go out there and dig a hole <laughs> in the, to get the water deep enough to baptize some of these people, you know? Not everybody's the same size. Well... Uh, like I said, water baptism um, is different. It, it means identification with. It's different from spiritual baptism. The Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, that uh, we've all been baptized by one spirit into one body. That's the body of Christ. That means that the Holy Spirit, I'm not talking about the baptism of the Spirit in a charismatic way, but the Holy Spirit has taken us and immersed us into the body of Christ. 
That's how we get into the body of Christ. Every believer has been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. And because of that, our identity is now united with Christ and who he is. So no longer am I Charlie Bing, I am Charlie Bing and Jesus. Or Christian is what we are called. We are called Christian, Christ's one. We are identified with him. And that's what Romans goes on to show in chapter 6. Um, Romans 6, 3, or do you not know that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Now here it's not talking about water baptism. It's talking about the spiritual reality that water baptism pictures. And he's telling us that, that when we became Christians, we have a new identity because we were baptized into Christ, united with him, and because of that, because he died to sin, so we have died to sin also positionally. Sin is no longer our boss. We don't have to listen to sin anymore. We are free for that. We have a new master. We have a new identity. And likewise, because we're united with Christ in spirit baptism, it says we, like we were united together in his likeness of his death, certainly we who shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So because Jesus rose from the dead and you and Jesus are tight, we're together, we're united, we, are all, we also have resurrection life in us. So we really don't die. We just transist, transition into uh, eternity and our new form. Isn't that great? Because of our identity with Jesus Christ. Um, so it gives us a new identity, uh, but baptism shows us the spiritual realities of what has happened, what has transpired, that the Holy Spirit has placed us into the body of Christ because we have believed in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I know that you know very well that baptism is not a condition for salvation. But there are many people who believe it is. But you know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 very well. Uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, the gift of God, not by works that any man should boast. So it's very clear from the Scriptures that we are saved by grace, and that grace, we know, is a free gift, is unconditional. Now, if it's free and it's unconditional, then there's nothing we can do to deserve it. And baptism doesn't earn grace, as, as some places and groups will teach, that you have to keep certain sacraments or do certain things to deserve God's grace. Well, that's contrary to the nature and meaning and definition of grace, because the Bible teaches, Romans eleven six, when you add works to grace, it ceases to be grace. Even baptism, even good things, any good thing you try to do is nullifies the whole idea of grace and salvation by grace besides sending the message that what God did is not enough for me. I have to do something to improve on what he did. Kind of an insult to God, I think. So salvation is by grace through faith and grace being a free gift. And because it's a free gift, the only way you can receive a free gift is with an empty hand. If you come with baptism in your hand, you can't receive a free gift. So a free faith is like that empty hand that can only receive what God wants to give us. Faith is being convinced or persuaded that something is true. So baptism's not a condition for salvation. And the scripture is very clear about what the conditions are, you know, because everybody knows John 3.16, whoever believes in him has everlasting life. It's as simple as Acts 16.31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe plus nothing. Believe plus nothing. 
But uh, there are some controversial passages that people often go to when you're discussing people from the other viewpoints, and they want to argue these passages. Now, one basic Bible study principle that you've probably heard is always interpret the difficult passages in light of the simple, clear passages. You've heard that. The simple, clear passages are verses like John 3.16 that say whoever believes in him has everlasting life or believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved and uh, he who believes in him has everlasting life, John 6.47, John 5.24 and on and on and on. So many verses that are real clear and then we bump into a verse that says something about baptism. And instead of going with the clear verses, some groups decide to go and follow those verses and it causes a lot of confusion amongst them and those who hear them. So I wanted to look at some of those passages with you since we're talking about baptism and uh, its relationship to salvation. Uh, what about John the Baptist's baptism? Because he came and he, and he said, repent and believe the gospel, and, and he said, be baptized unto repentance, and so forth. Um, there's a number of places where it is mentioned that John baptized people, John the Baptist, of course. Um, but John the Baptist, we, we need to remember, was preaching in the preparation for the one who would come after him. And so John's baptism was called that, John's baptism. It was not Christian baptism. And he was baptizing unto repentance. And who was he baptizing? He was baptizing the Jewish people, the nation, people from the nation of Israel, baptizing them unto repentance that would show their change of mind and, and um, separation from the apostate, sinful Israel that was in existence at that time. So John the Baptist was calling people out from the sinful nation of Israel in preparation and anticipation of the coming Messiah. His baptism didn't save people, and we'll, we'll see why that's even clearer later in the book of Acts. Um, well, there it is, Acts 19, 1 through 5, when Paul found a group of believers, and he, he said to them, um, uh, I don't know exactly what he said, have you, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said... Uh, um, we've only been baptized with John's baptism. And then Paul preached Christ to them. Oh, they said, we haven't even heard, but what's the Holy Spirit? We haven't heard about the Holy Spirit. And, and, um, and Paul preached Christ to them, and so then they were baptized in Jesus' name. So here were John the Baptist's disciples who had been baptized being re-baptized as Christians. Okay. Another passage that's often misused is John's, uh, Mark 16 at the very end of the book uh, where it talks about going out and spreading the gospel and those who believe will do certain signs. Uh, and then it says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And so that verse is often used. But you know, we, we do note what the many Bibles will put on the footnote that this passage is not in some of the manuscripts. But let's assume that it is. Even if it is, uh, and I, I think it is part of the original manuscript, uh, look carefully at it because he says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Not he who does not believe and is not baptized. So he's saying what would normally follow baptism because he's talking about what follows belief at the end there, signs and miracles, and baptism normally follows anybody that believed in those days. 
He never says that baptism is a condition for condemnation, not being baptized. So I think it's pretty clear there that he's just including baptism as something that's to be done after salvation. John 3, 5 is another passage that is often used. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, we could spend a lot of time on this, but let me try to summarize it pretty quickly. There's a lot of interpretations about what water means there, and some of them are, are okay when it comes to the grace view of the gospel, and some of them are, are not so good. But some people believe it's talking about John's baptism, but I think the context shows it's clearly not. Jesus is talking there. And um, some people think it refers to Christian baptism, the water he mentions, but Christian baptism doesn't start until the book of Acts. Some people think that the water refers to physical birth. I have friends that take that interpretation. It's a real simple one because, you know, you're born in water and, uh, and then you have to also be born spiritually. And Nicodemus does talk about, you know, going back into his mother's womb and being born a second time. He misunderstands Jesus. But what tips me off as, as a clue to that's not the meaning, and by the way, it does mean, uh, some people say it means the word of God because Ephesians 5 talks about being washed by the water of the word, associates the word with, with water there. But I think that's a stretch to go to Ephesians to interpret Jesus and John. What tips me off is in verse 10 where Jesus says to Nicodemus, you're the teacher of Israel, you should know these things. Well, how should Nicodemus know what water means as the teacher of Israel. He, Jesus must have been implying that, Nicodemus, you've been reading your Old Testament, right? We used to have this one professor says, don't you men read your Bibles? <laughs> That's what Jesus was saying, Nicodemus. Nicodemus, don't you read your Bibles, your Bible? I think the better interpretation is that he's speaking the water there figuratively of the spiritual birth that was promised in the new covenant. In fact, that little connector there, water and the spirit, that word and in the Greek language, chi, can be used, note this down, look it up later, in an appositional way, meaning that it's connecting two things that are alike, saying the same thing, water, that is the spirit, or water, even the spirit, which is how some translations even translate it. So he's not saying two different things, water and the spirit, but water, which is the spirit. You can use the word connect chi in that that sense. But you know what, really what Jesus was probably referring to, in my opinion, is Ezekiel 36, and Nicodemus should have known this. It's one of the major passages on the New Covenant. And even though the New Covenant is not fulfilled today, it'd be fulfilled in Israel by Israel in the future, we benefit from some of the spiritual blessings of that, one, one of which is the forgiveness of sins, a new heart, and the indwelling spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, um, God says, then I will sprinkle clean water on you. He's talking to Israel. And you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your uh, idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Could be speaking of the inner human spirit here. There. And I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my, this is the Holy Spirit, within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. One of the spiritual blessings or several of the spiritual blessings of the new covenant are here that I think Christians can enjoy today, and one of them is that he gives us a new heart. And uh, that is sometimes pictured in the scriptures as water. Water has a cleansing effect, a new heart. He's talking here about cleansing and, and uh, a new spirit and, and his spirit in us. Nicodemus should have known that water was associated and, um, and symbolic, symbolically with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's why Jesus was reminding him of that. 
So that's a short explanation of, uh, I used to hold some of the other interpretations, but I kind of settled on that because Jesus said, Nicodemus, you should know this. That means there's something in the Old Testament Nicodemus should have known, and I think that's what it was. How about Acts 2.28? Here's another real stickler. Peter's preaching. Now, it's important to note that he's preaching to the Jewish people. He calls them men and brethren. He calls them men of Israel in chapter 2, where he's preaching to them. And he says to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, uh, first of all, we note that Peter is speaking to the Jews, to the Jews who crucified Christ. And that's what he reminds them of. This Jesus that you crucified is the Christ, the Messiah. You just killed your Messiah, guys, is what he's saying to them. What was their response in verse 37? They were cut to the heart and they said, what shall we do? We just killed the Messiah. What shall we do? Now, some people, you can take that as their salvation, as some, some would, and I don't have a big problem with that. Or you can take it as just the fact that they realized they just did something really terrible, but now they needed to repent or change their minds about their relationship to Jesus, believe in him as their Savior, and, and demonstrate that by baptism. And that baptism would not forgive their sins, but it would... It would show that they are repentant of the sin of killing the Messiah. So I think the remission of sins here doesn't refer to sins in general, but the sin that they were dealing with at the time, cut to the heart, being, being sorrowful, regretful that they just killed their Messiah. It was a very special circumstance and a very special situation. So this verse should not be used in any general sense to say that we have to be baptized to be forgiven for our sins or to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, is it, it, the giving of the Holy Spirit, we see it unfolding in different ways because Acts is a transitional book, you know. So uh, the, the Gentiles, when they believe, seem to receive the Spirit right away. But the Samaritans, the half-Jews, and the Jews were often delayed. In fact, uh, the apostles had to go so that one group, the Samaritans, I believe, could receive the Holy Spirit. He had to go to them. Uh, because it was a transitional book. Today, when someone believes, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're out of the book of Acts in the transitional period, and uh, there's no more apostles around. So it, it happens the moment somebody believes today. But baptism would identify this group of Jews who killed the Messiah with the Christian community and saved them from the coming judgment for their sin. In verse 40, Peter says, save yourself from this perverse or sinful generation. He was warning them that God is not going to let this generation get away with crucifying his son. You better cut your ties with Israel and connect to the Christian community. They didn't know this, but a few years later in 70 AD, Jerusalem would be flattened and millions of Jews would be killed. And God would punish the Israel nation, nation of Israel for crucifying his son. Save yourself from this perverse generation. Identify with the Christian community in baptism right now for the remission uh, of that sin. So the forgiveness is for the sin of crucifying Christ and repentant baptism 
was also the condition for receiving the Spirit in that transitional period. It's not, we should be careful about taking things out of Acts and making them normative for today. So there were a lot of special circumstances at that time. 1 Peter 3, 21. I don't like this verse. No preacher likes this verse. It's one of those difficult verses uh, for people to interpret. I'll give it my best shot as uh, and it's not original with me, but there are different interpretations. He talks about Noah and his flood in the flood and how his family of eight was saved through the waters of the flood. And when he says there is also an antitype, he's talking about the type with, which foreshadows the antitype. The type was Noah and his family being saved through the waters of the flood. And the antitype is baptism today, and he's making a comparison. The antitype, which now saves us, is this eternal salvation? I don't think so. I'll explain why. Because that word eternal salvation is, can be salvation itself can be used in many different ways, and only 36% of the time in the New Testament does it refer to eternal salvation. It just means to be delivered for preserved from something. So in the same way, baptism now delivers us or preserves us, we could say, not by the removal of flesh, of filth of flesh, the actual forgiveness of sins, but the answer of a good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think he is talking about water baptism here. Some people interpret it as spiritual baptism. I think he's talking about water baptism. And what he's saying is when we identify with, with Christ and show that in water baptism, it gives us a clear conscience, that identity with Christ. Not only that, but we are associating ourselves with his resurrection power and the ability to live a life uh, that is pleasing to God. And I won't say without sin, but a better life and have victory over sin because of Christ's resurrection power. We're identifying with him in that act of water baptism. Um, but the words, what are we saved from then? We're saved from a conscience of, con of condemnation. We're saved from the, uh, the negative effects of sin, the deadness of sin that can come upon us. But when we profess Christ, anytime that we profess Christ, it's, it's a victory. It's a joy. It's something to rejoice in. And it's affirming in our Christian life, lives. Well, what are some conclusions about baptism and salvation? Um, first of all, if we've made nothing clear today, I want to make it very clear that baptism does not save. And you who are being baptized today have had that made clear to you, I'm sure. Um, but many of you have grown up and traditions or denominations or religious groups that have taught baptism was essential to salvation. But if we understand what it means to be saved by grace, the free gift of God, through faith, then we know that baptism can not merit or earn or deserve salvation. The thief on the cross was not baptized. If they had put him in water, he would have floated, right? <laughs> Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said, God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He said, I, I only baptized, I think I baptized some people in the house of Stephanus. It, it, was not, it was not that it was not important to Paul. It was just that that wasn't his main job. His main job was to preach the gospel, and he didn't include baptism in the gospel because baptism was a consequence of the gospel. So he made that distinction. So baptism is for those who have believed, who have made the decision or 
trusted Christ or received the gift of eternal life, however you want to put it, but have, are leaning on Christ and him alone for his gift of salvation. Baptism is for those who have believed in him for eternal life because he purchased it on the cross and rose from the dead and promised it as a free gift. Well, some people say, well, what, what about Acts 16 where the Philippian jailer was baptized and his household? It says, or Cornelius and his household. But the word household did not necessarily refer to just immediate family members. It meant all the responsible adults in living in usually a compound situation. It could be uh, in-laws and, and uh, servants. Uh, never is household ever used in association with infants. We don't see that included. So uh, that's just an some people like to imply that infants are part of the household. They're part of the family, but the household is all the responsible adults who are running the house. Um, so I don't think that's a good argument. Baptism does not bestow the Holy Spirit. Everybody who believes is immersed by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, does not bring the Holy Spirit upon us. There are some groups that teach, like Jesus, when he was baptized, the dove came down on him. And so they use that as an example of when we are baptized, the Holy Spirit descends upon us. Uh, there's no grounds for that in the scriptures as well. And then let me say that infant baptism does not guarantee salvation. Now, some groups baptize infants with different things in mind. Some believe that it actually regenerates them. They're regenerated. Some people believe it includes them in a covenant, which is like a promise or guarantee that they will be saved in the future. But we find nothing in the scripture of that sort or any kind of promise or indication that that is true. Infant baptism, as sincere as it might be and intended, uh, does not save or does not guarantee salvation at all. I was baptized as an infant. Maybe you were too. Many of us were, in fact. But we didn't come to understand the gospel till later. For me, the age of 19. The important thing is to understand that baptism is a very important thing, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Is as important as it is, it does not save you or add anything to your salvation. And so if you're hearing me today, what you need to do is not run out and get baptized to be saved, but you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin and death and received his gift of eternal life. And you can do that while you're looking at me. You can do that while you're watching at home. You can do that with your eyes open, believe it or not. It's just trusting in Jesus and him alone for that free gift of eternal life. And once you do, I'm going to say, now you should get baptized. So why should you be baptized? Well, first of all, it simply obeys Christ's command. And uh, his commission was for disciples to go out into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. And the first thing that involved was the main command, make disciples. The first thing that was involved was baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, in the name of to be identified with all that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit represent. So it obeys Christ's command. And then it, it follows the examples in the Scriptures. I've heard the comment before, and I think it's true. There's no such thing in the Scriptures as, as an unbaptized believer. 
Look at the day of Pentecost. Two, three thousand people believe and immediately they get baptized. Cornelius immediately gets baptized. The eunuch immediately gets baptized. The jailer immediately gets baptized. It was just expected of. The example in the scriptures is expected that believers proclaim their faith and confess it publicly in a display, a symbolic ritual or ordinance, we call it, that shows the world, tells the world that I'm a new person. I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ now. I have a new identity. And that's what we're proclaiming to friends and family when we take that step of baptism. It publicly testifies that you're a Christian and in the body of Christ. And so it doesn't necessarily identify, sometimes it does and is necessary to identify with the church. But the bigger and more important truth is that it identifies us with the body of Christ. Like John was baptizing unto repentance so that Israel, the Jews would no longer associate with sinful Israel, but associate with those who are expecting the Messiah. When the Messiah comes now, get baptized in Jesus' name to associate with Christians and become a part of the church, or know that you're, show that you're a part of the church, we should say. And then I like to say it's the first step of discipleship. That's what I like to tell people when I baptize them. I say, now, this is, this is the first thing God wants you to do in obedience. And by taking this step, you're indicating that you want to follow Jesus in a life of discipleship. If you want to obey him now you're in a baptism, then you're indicating that you want to go down that path of discipleship. It's the beginning of an exciting and wonderful journey. And that's why we want to be sure that people are baptized, understand what they're doing, are sincere about it, truly believe, and really do want from the heart to obey, and not just doing it to please your parents, which is often happens. So I was baptized as a baby. That's, in fact, that's probably my earliest memory is that I was held over this lectern with a bowl and somebody with a robe and I, I don't know what was going on. I think I was probably crying because I cried a lot. And, uh, and I remember him sprinkling water on my head. That was like my earliest memory of childhood. I was probably two years old or something like that, maybe younger. I don't know. And I've subsequently learned that I was supposed to have been born again then. Um, and then I went through the church confirmation classes and I was catechized and confirmed which supposedly meant that I was now a Christian, a full member of the church, and I could take communion. All of which meant not much to me. I had to deal with my parents that once I was confirmed, I could do whatever I want and stop going to church, which I promptly did, and uh, lived my teenage years the way I wanted to, as a total and complete pagan. Until the age of 19, somebody told me about Jesus Christ and uh, asked me if I was a Christian. I said, yeah, I was a Christian. I was raised in this church. No, I mean, have you been born again? I said, what's that? explain what it meant to be born again. I said, no, I don't think that's happened. And she showed me all these Bible verses. It wasn't my wife. It was somebody else. I just knew it from work. And showed me all these Bible verses and answered all the questions I had, which were many. And in the summer of 1973, at the age of 19, go to math if you want. I'm 60, just turned 67. Um, <laughs> save you the trouble. At the age of 19, I believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I didn't get baptized. You know why? I wasn't going to any church. This woman went back to her home and didn't lead us to any church. My, my, I say us because my roommate and I uh, both believed that summer. And we just studied the Bible like crazy that summer. 
And, and then I started going, I had a friend, and I started going to this Baptist church nearby after about a year of being on my own. And, and I started being excited about studying the Bible and helping out with the youth. And they said, well, you need to join the church. Okay, I'll join the church. Have you been baptized? No. Well, I was as a baby. No, I mean, you know, Baptist church. We need to baptize you. I am a very self-conscious and shy person. I really am. I don't like being in front of people. I really don't. And um, <laughs> if I didn't have something to say, I wouldn't be here. But to get up in front of people and get dunked underwater, uh, that was a terrifying thought to me. And, but I wanted to join this church and participate in what they were doing so badly. I said, okay, let's do this thing, you know. So I was baptized, fully dunked and immersed in front of the church. And um, you know what? It was a good thing. When you'll find out, if you remember, when you were baptized, you have this strong affirmation of your identity with Christ. It's, it's a physical thing. It's, it, it, it's, it's, it doesn't add to anything, any salvation. But anytime we confess Christ publicly, it's a good thing and makes us feel good. And it confirms to us who we really are in him. And that's what it did for me. It began a process of me publicly confessing him and, and being more outspoken about him and uh, sharing the gospel with him. And that's what baptism did for me. And I hope it does, did that for you and will for you. And if you're thinking about uh, being baptized because of anything that's been said today, see Pastor Phil or one of the elders, as he said, and they'll, they'll, they'll talk to you about it. And I encourage you to take that step. Um, in some countries, to take the step of baptism means that you're putting your life on the line. You will be killed if your baptism is discovered. A good friend of mine from India became a Christian, left his Sikh religion, and he got baptized. When he went home and he told his father, his father went and got his gun, came out and pointed it at him and said, get out of the house, you're no longer my son. He said, well, can I pack a few things? No, get out of my house. And he was on the streets of New Delhi for days before someone, Ramesh Richard, picked him up and discipled him. And today he's heading a Bible college in northern India, and I'm on his board. And a uh, wonderful story. But he put his life on the line. Christians are doing that in countries every day. So taking the step of baptism is a no-brainer for us here in New Braunfels. Let's do it. Jesus commanded it. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this... Uh, what seems to be a, a, just a, a ritual, but a very meaningful, symbolic uh, point to make that we are identifying with you through our water baptism, that we are part of the body of Christ, that you are our Savior, that we are going to confess you boldly before others, our family, our friends, and for all the world to see, no matter what the cost, we want to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, for those who are struggling with that kind of decision today, I pray that they might choose to do what you're telling them to do. And for those who uh, need the assurance of their salvation, may they trust in Jesus Christ and from this moment never look back, but believe the promise that you will give them the free gift of eternal life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening. For more resources, or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.